Let's have a sincere conversation about events across the nation and topics for our own morality. Let's openly discuss in an environment of trust where perception is reality. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, Perception is Reality. And it's your host, David, back after a couple weeks off, enjoying some of what summer has to, uh, to offer. And with me today is my newest friend. And you all know that everybody, once they're on my show, they're my friend for life. So warning, just a warning to Dr. Lisa for that one. Uh, but is Dr. Lisa Ecole. So thank you for joining the show, Dr. Lisa. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. We are going to have a fun discussion today. I always think all of my discussions are fun because I like doing the podcast, so that makes it fun for me. Uh, but I'm curious, can you tell us, I, and I, I know the topic, and I'll say it, but I can't wait to hear how you describe it and talk about it. So today's topic, uh, ladies and gentlemen at home, is collaborative relational intelligence. So Dr. Lisa, take it away. Thank you, David. Yeah, I'm really very excited to share um, with your guests what collaborative relational intelligence is. Actually, this is a term that I coined, patented, you know, under me. And why? Because um, I did a PhD dissertation, you know, published a couple of years ago, and I focused on relational intelligence between pharmacists and physicians. And after that dissertation, I realized that um, regardless of how um, intelligent you are relationally, um, there was something really lacking. And that part of it that was lacking was collaboration. So what is collaboration? We have all heard about, you know, what it means to be a team player, what it means to collaborate. We just use this word and they tell us we have to collaborate in from a family standpoint to a corporate standpoint to even like um, my, in micro relationship one-on-one, we hear the term collaboration. But what I realized is that collaboration is bigger and deeper than it is just said. And there's a lot of misconception around it, you know. And for me, the misconception around collaboration is, well, um, when you're being nice to somebody or you ask somebody for help or um, you do a job and it is completed correctly. Um, all of this really, really changed for me when I took a deep dive into what relationship is um, what being in, um, um, what what it means to relate inte um, intelligently and then adding collaboration to it. Why? Because you know I started my profession as a pharmacist. You know, decided to go back to school to pursue a PhD in health services. And when I worked in the hospital, I realized that there was a lot of you know, um, silo practice when it comes to the different professionals. Um, not that they did that on purpose. For example waste in healthcare that is as a result of lack of collaboration is in the billions. I am originally from a third world country, Africa, and that really talked to the strings of my heart because I come from a place where expired medications could be used. Medications that are expired here, you know, some people will want that just to stay alive. To even think that so much money, billions of dollars is going towards waste, 
due to lack of collaboration became a big issue to me. So when I did my second PhD, I decided to focus on collaboration. How can a team like pharmacy and physician collaborate? And it took me through all of these different things about collaboration. Then I realized that in this age that we are in, it is called the relational age because as you know, we started with, you know, gathering, hunting, farming, you know, industrial, and then the technological age came with information on the internet. And now a lot of people have become knowledge worker. What does that mean? Before intelligence was being equated or success in life based on what they call um, IQ. But now in this relational age, because more people are becoming knowledge workers, what we need is how to relate with others. So success in life, in career, in everything we do has to be based on how we relate to each other. And statistics show that up to 85% of our success is based on that. Only four to 10 is based on IQ. And then I started asking myself, so what does it mean to really relate to each other? So I dug deeper into the psychological part of leadership. And then from it all, I realized that for us to be able to really collaborate and work with each other, we have to be able to really understand what collaboration is. And we just don't need collaboration. We need to collaborate. We need to be relational and we need to be intelligent on how we do it. So now the definition of collaborative relational intelligence basically is knowing yourself, understanding others, gaining value in the differences for a win-win interaction. So collaboration is getting the value that another person brings to the table and you, you, you take that difference and you go in for a win-win interaction. So, but if you don't know yourself and you don't understand others, there's no way that can be possible. And as we go further, I can dig deeper to explain what that really is and what that means when it comes to, you know, our day-to-day -day life and our work life. So we oh, cannot we collaborate. We will go deeper. I promise. I have so many questions swirling around in my head already. Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I love, I just want to get this on the table. I love your passion for this. I thought I Thank was you. passionate about this, but um, I, I feel, uh, what, oh, I don't even know the word. I feel, um, I feel small in your presence, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in, 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 in a, uh, a good way, because I like to think that, that I like to do these things, but the, you're just, I can hear it in your, in, in what you're saying and how you're saying it, that like, this is, this is, <laughs> this is going to be a fun learning experience today for me. So again, thank you for being on that show. Um, I like to say that I, I collaborate. That's one of my favorite things to say at work. And I really truly enjoy, and I'm using air quotes, collaborating. And to me and my definition of collaborating is when, um, it's a win-win for both parties involved or the multiple teams involved, but it's, it has that, that collaboration has a lack of pretense. There's no, there's no expectation of future gain from whatever task that we've been set forth on. Um, now, future gains might be intangible, like you, you've made friends, you, you know, you've actually befriended somebody on the bigger team or cross-functional team during the project. 
you might have learned something, you know, there's intangibles, but, and I'm speaking on just one, one specific event, like we're, when we're deploying new software, we have multiple teams involved. Um, and to me, that's what collaboration means. So how far, how far away is my, is David's version of collaboration from, from Dr. Lisa's? Very close. And I like how you put it, actually, David, because you say you go in and you do all this without really um, looking for any benefit, right? Um, but what I want to add is that um, there is a way to do that in such a way that I, the giver, will not feel stressed out. You, the receiver, will not feel stressed out. And in all my studies and research and <laughs> experience, the only way that can really work in a very smooth way and consistently that it becomes an you know, a way of life is first of all, knowing yourself and understanding others. And, um, and why I say that is because a lot of times, because we don't know ourselves, we don't know what we want, because we don't understand people, we go around carrying a lot of judgment. And sometimes you might think that we are collaborating with somebody and putting our best foot forward, not realizing that we're actually breaking rapport and causing disconnect. And all of that leads to total destruction of collaboration. Why do I say so? For example, um, it all starts with how we are wired and, you know, with the psychology of the brain. There are people that are wired, you know, from an from interpersonal standpoint to do things a certain way. Some are fast-paced, some are slow-paced. There are those that analyze things and there are those that will look at things in a snap and make a decision. So what I have really found to be really helpful is the disc assessment. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, because mm -hmm. when I was doing all of this, I said, what tool can I use that will help this, my leadership concept? I realized that a disc is the only language that is observable, it's non-judgmental, it is um, silent, which means if I go to China on a trip, on vacation, or on a work trip, I can be able to just observe somebody and understand how to collaborate with them and adapt and blend in. Because for you to be able to collaborate with somebody, you have to be able to adapt and blend in because you might have the mindset of collaborating, but if you don't know how to adapt to some other person's way of doing things, it becomes really, really tough. So I can give you an example. Oh, I, I agree. Um, I used to um, train DISC and my friend Gene Allen, who was on an earlier podcast, uh, Communicating in the Workplace. She's a certified DISC trainer. Um, we've done several collaborations together. So I, I really, I, I'm going to let you give me an example, but I want to just to jump in if I may for a moment. So I, I'm very much a proponent of knowing, know thyself. Um, I know what my disc profile is, and I know based on my trainings and being uh, teaching disc that I can I can uh, matriculate to the center of the disc to the disc uh, chart, and I can mirror back pretty successfully um, what the communication language that the person I'm dealing with wants to. Well, what, what I can communicate in the disc language of the person or the people that I'm dealing with. And I, and I do fully believe that teams take on 
teams have a disk personality as well. Even though they're, they're, they're comprised of multiple disk personalities, a team itself has a personality as well. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to say, and, and I, I'm, I told you I was going to get excited about this. I, 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 my brain can't, I can't, I can't speak fast enough with my, my brain is processing. I'm sorry, Dr. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let me, let me just say this. So one thing that I feel like, and I know myself and, and I like to listen and, and see how I'm being spoken to and the body language, if I can see it and everything to try to figure out where they are in the disc wheel. And then I can and mirror that back. And I find that that's very, very helpful and, and effective communication and getting things done. Um, what I struggle with sometimes, and I'm hoping you can help me is that sometimes, and, and I'm, I am sincerely, and I, and I believe this about myself and somebody, you know, one of my friends or coworkers that's listening can call in or correct me if I'm wrong here, but, um, I truly do go into a collaborative event without any expectation of, of anything other than let's do this task together and, and, and we're going to get it done. However, sometimes after leaving a task or an event or whatever that I'm doing, why, Dr. Lisa, do I sometimes feel like I've been taken advantage of? So sometimes you might feel that you have been taken advantage of if you maybe, you know, and I'm not saying that this is what happened exactly. It could be um, so many different reasons. Why? Because you went in, because for you to be collaborative rightfully, you have to be intentional. It has to be intentional, which means you already know yourself. You're very familiar with this. You know your blind spot. So you are going into this with all your mind to do one thing, to exercise collaboration. Now, if that person out there does not come in with that mindset, you know, you feel like you have piled in and piled in and piled in. And this is what, this is just a normal tenet of life that even Galileo said, that people give to get. So when you are the one just putting in the stance, putting in, putting in, and you don't feel like somebody else is doing their part, you feel drained, you feel like you've been used you know, and that is why it is really very important because collaboration cannot be one way. It can be, it has to be two way streets. Otherwise, when you leave there, you either have to have the mindset that, well, you know, this person probably did not know better. And so I had very little expectation. So for example, when it comes to the disc assessment and personality, you will know better. You are expected to step in, blend in and adapt to the other person and make the situation better, you know? Mm -hmm. You don't really always have to be peaceful. But one thing for sure you will know that this person behaved this way either because they did not know better and not because they deliberately wanted to take advantage of me. You see the difference? Oh, I, I do. And that's something that um, it's something that I've, I would say recently in the past few years have been working towards because I, I consider myself a work in progress um, that the assumption that I need to make is that somebody just didn't know any better, that it, it wasn't malicious. And, and the older, unwiser David would have not believed that. But now I truly do see and understand that people just don't know any better. Um, so that's been helpful. But I appreciate your, your, um, your explanation of that. It was very helpful to me and I hope to our listeners because that is a common 
common misperception in life is that people are out with uh, malicious intent when they really just don't know any better. No. And can I, can I add something and I give you a good example that really happened to me in life? So Please. when we talk about collaborative relational intelligence, so the DIS personality is made of 10 branches. So the DIS personality, the self-awareness part comes from the double road general part of it. So the other branches, the other steps that are involved in collaborative relational intelligence are things like rapport. So in a situation where you go in and somebody out there doesn't know what you know, and you don't, you realize that maybe B is not going to be as intentional as I am, there is another way to force somebody to start acting right or acting or to be collaborative the way you want it. And you know what that is by building rapport. And I'm sure, David, you know that, that, you know, communication is just 7% what we say. Can you imagine? 93% is based on non-verbal communication and clues. And 55 of that, 5% is body language. You know, the other is tonality. And can you imagine, about 38% is tonality. Can you imagine how huge that is, you know, the communication? Yes. So now we're building a call. I go back to the technique brought about by, 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 by one psychiatrist, you know, Eric Milton, when mm -hmm. he stepped up and he talked about matching and mirroring. So when I walk into a situation, in a big conference, into a big meeting where I am going in there with an intention to collaborate and I don't want to feel like, you know, when I leave, I feel like, you know, I gave in, gave in and got nothing. I do what they call matching and mirroring. I'm telling you, this technique is so huge that two years ago when I, was it last year when I presented at Harvard University, the, the director there actually turned around and said, you know what, this is one of the most important things I have heard. And they made my course a CME at the Harvard Medical School. Matching a mirror is a very beautiful technique. Why? When you match a mirror somebody, right, you get into that world, you become like them. And guess what? People like people that are like them or mm -hmm. people that they want to be like. So all of a sudden, you know, this person you're working with, when you start matching and mirroring them, regardless of their diff and everything, when I say matching and mirroring, you know, there are different things, the way they sit, you just get into that position, or the way they talk, you know, if they're slow piece, you just match a mirror. See, when you leave or when you start talking and interacting with them, they'll be like, oh, there is something about this person. All of a sudden, you see them to giving in, you know? So it's such a powerful technique. I use this every day. You won't believe it. I'm top performer when it comes to deliverables at my job. Um, every meeting I walk into, I don't care what kind of, um, of, of, of situation I'm working in or what case I'm working in, I leave there feeling satisfied. I leave there feeling that it was a win-win interaction. The feedback has always been very great because when you build rapport, you avoid conflict and Guess what? It also helps you to be able to resolve conflict, but at the same time, you pull that person out to your side and you do not feel drained. So I just thought I should put that in. One other example I wanted to just jump in, if you let me to give when it comes to assumptions that would make that could be wrong. Is that okay? Yes, please. Okay, so I was working um, in a city in Michigan called Lansing. It's really very careful because I always say I'm also an expert, you know, in shifting dynamics within relationship and erasing walls 
built based on false assumption. I walked into this gas station. There was a white male behind the counter. As soon as I walked in, he did not even engage me. You know how, you know, you even lift your head up to acknowledge somebody coming in. He went straight to the refrigerator, grabbed something, came back. When I grabbed my stuff, I was ready for him to ring up. He did not even look at me into my eyes. He just started ringing. Then all of a sudden, I realized I grabbed the wrong peanut, you know. Mm -hmm. I said, I didn't want the one with sugar. Let me go back and get the right one. When I went and I came back, man, this guy yanked this thing from my hand without even looking at me. Let me tell you what happened. There was a lady behind me. She looked at me. I could tell what she was thinking. You know, under normal circumstances, before I knew all of what I know now, it would have been that this man is a chauvinist, hater of women, disrespecter of women, or a white male racist, basically treating mm -hmm. uh, a woman with an accent in this mean way. But guess what? I knew that this guy was tax-oriented, and if nothing else, he's a deep personality that is thinking of what is in there and the next thing that he's about to do. So the, the most important thing to him is not building small talk or engaging with me nicely, nicely. No. And so since I knew that, when he yanked it from my heart, he said, hmm, that wasn't nice. That is what you do to activate the prefrontal context, um, um, prefrontal loop in the brain to bring you back to awareness. And when I did, I said, oh, guess what? And because I understand these different personalities, I was not expecting an apology. When you are working with a deep personality, it's hard for them to apologize. But by him doing that, I knew he realized he had done something. And the moment he did that, he just became nicer. And that is how they will normally behave, right? Or if you force them to apologize, they say, oh, sorry, but you did this. But because I already knew all of this, when I left the store, I was smiling. I said, oh, that, is, that was a, a deep personality at the register at the gas station, right? But I laughed. But if I did not know all of this, I would have left with the wrong assumption and perception that I was treated like this maybe because I was a woman. I was treated like this maybe because of my accent. I was treated like this because I was black. Do you know the kind of conflict and boarding and baggage that you carry thinking that people treat you a certain way because of one thing, whereas they are just wired to do things one way or the other? Do you, you get the point? Yeah, I do get your point. Yeah. No, that's very, that's very telling and, and, and a very good example because that could have taken several ugly turns, but it really... And can I, I mean, you're, you're sure it was just his deep personality? They're 100% sure. Okay. Because the moment, hmm, that wasn't so nice, you know, she was up immediately. Yeah. If you want I mean, deep personality, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, well, first of all, a full disclosure, this is a full disclosure podcast. I am an off the chart deep personality. Like, I mean, my, in, and you know how there's the, um, well, so, in times of stress or pressure, that's when it really, 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 really comes out. But um, just so you know that, we'll talk yeah. about this in a minute. But I do like yeah. to, um, I do like to talk about race on the show quite a bit. Um, and I'm actually I have I have a bunch of listeners in South Africa, and I'm trying to get one. Wow. Of, I'm trying to get one of them to come on the show. Uh, it's been hard to arrange timeframes. Uh, but I'm trying to get one of them to come on the show to talk about racism in, in, in South Africa. But I've talked about racism on the show. That's why I just I, I, I ask, and I'm because and, there there are people who are truly just evil racists. They really just are, and then right. there are people who are just truly um, idiots. 
like somebody who is a high D personality behind a register who, you know, unequivocally just treats everybody the same way because um, like my friend Jean Allen likes to say, she likes to say when dealing with a D personality, be bright, be brief and be gone. Thank just you. <laughs> and a D personality that is not self-aware. It, yes, it, it, that, and that's aware. true. That's, that's true because I will tell you um, a, there's a few things that, that inhibit, that have inhibited me in life. And, and I know that that's going to sound crazy, but I think you'll understand what it is. So I had uh, in my early career, um, early career, like, you know, David in his early 20s, I was um, fortunate enough to be promoted into management and I started my management career early. However, I was a D, high D bullet point, get it done bull in a china shop to to use a stupid you know colloquialism or whatever those are called um i did not know and understand fully that i had that type of personality i was just like a i was just wind me up and i was gone um also and i talk about this quite a bit on the podcast i suffer from what what <laughs> resting bitch face. So my face is always, I, I, I always look like I'm um, stern or angry, but I'm really not. I just, I just, you know, it's, it, I just, I have resting bitch face and, and my tone, my tone of voice matches my face, which is it doesn't, I don't really inflect my tone that much. I've learned over the years to try um, and, and really work on it, but it's, a, you know, it can be stressful. Actually, it's very draining after a long day. Like, for example, when I go to a trade show and I've done an interview or I've talked on stage and I've done a presentation and I tell people this, that talking on stage, I love talking on stage. It's the aftermath where you have to interact with a crowd that scares me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Making small talk. And this is, oh, the high, yes. this is the high D personality. In. Making yes. small talk after... Mm -hmm. I could present in front of a stadium full of people. I've never had that opportunity to present. I mean, I think the biggest audience I had was a couple thousand, but still after that, like, I mean, I could do it. I'm sure I know positively in my heart that I could present and do it well. However, afterwards, when everybody wants to come and meet the presenter and talk to him or her about what they just presented, that scares the daylights out of me. I just can't. I just, small talk is, is, um, horrifying <laughs> wow <laughs> no i and i and i for your personality i can believe that and i can imagine so let me ask you david so would you say you're dc no i'm a high d i there is no other personality it's d no like the second like the second like d and then what is your second um dc no not a c so, um probably okay. oh, yeah. f Okay. All right. I mean, when okay. I test, it's always pretty much like DD, but um, I would say I personally think DS. Whoa. Okay. All right. I mean, I'm okay. not kidding. Like I am, I am an off the chart D personality. Mm -hmm. like, I like a bullet pointed mm -hmm. list. I don't like a lot of words. I don't like a lot of descriptions. I, and, yes. and this has been like, I've learned that about myself over the years. So now when I assign tasks or I work on a project, I, I, I have to, when I have to move downward into the C or over to the right, to the I to, to engage mm -hmm. the team or to deliver instructions that are meaningful, 
because there's two ways to say something, right? I could say, um, all right, team, we're here together. Go build a bridge. Or, you know, they'll build me a bridge. Will it be out of popsicle sticks? Or will it be the bridge that I really need that crosses the creek, um, you know, uh, over the major highway that needs to be four lanes wide? It's got to be construction construct that has to last because the creek will rise. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like giving them like, okay, build a bridge versus like the details. This is where the bridge is. This is the kind of construction, blah, 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 blah. And I don't know how to build a bridge. I'm just using that as an example. So over the years, I've had to learn how to do that. Um, but you know, it's as, as a D personality, it's no fun to go into the other quadrants. No, not at all. That's even <laughs> the toughest. <laughs> but, but you see now based on and I'm so happy that you are really very knowledgeable about the disc. But can you imagine you trying to collaborate with an I personality who only wants to chit chat, chit chat, chit chat, chit chat? You have to go in there and be intentional. First of all, look at her or him, understand her observable language, and then you work with her to be effective as a collaborator. That is why we have to know ourselves, understand others, and then gain value in the difference. Because if the owner of that gas station knew that um, the person at the gas um, cash register was a D personality, maybe he will assign another role to him, maybe he will do some coaching, maybe he will let him to be a little bit more self-aware, you know? Mm -hmm. And so things become really different, you know, but if you didn't, if like, if you don't know yourself as a D, how would you tweak those reports when you are working with others? You oh, I was horrible. Yeah. I, I was horrible. So I, I, I absolutely was. And I, I know that. And um, over the years, I've still maintained um, a relationship with those, my first team that when I was my, when I made my first management position as a manager. Um, that first team, I'm still, I guess, friends with all of them, actually, except for one. Except wow. for one. And, you know, they, they watched me grow. Um, hmm. they, they watched, we all grew together. Uh, and luckily, they were willing to uh, stick with me during that process, because I'm sure it wasn't easy. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> I really like that's I mean, I hope you can understand now that why I was saying like this conversation is incredibly exciting for me because disc is what really opened my eyes. And I learned that because I was working at AT&T at the time and AT&T, when you get hired into management, they have a they had I'm sure they still do a curriculum. Disc was one of those things. And once I learned about disc, it was all over. I mean, it was just like. It's good. The, the leaves on trees were greener. The sun was brighter. I mean, like, just, my perception shifted. And, and one of the key things that I do, I don't know how you, you're, you're, you're even more attuned than I am. So that's why I was saying, like, I am definitely bowing in your presence. So you, you, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. But one one you. of the things that I like to do is, that's why I do the greeting. I'm like, you know, I was like, hi, Dr. Lisa. And I was like, how are you today? I like to ask the how are you today question to see how people answer so I can understand where they are, you know, like, and, and, and it's hard. That's a first pass that might not be 100% accurate, but at least it's a guiding point because some people like yourself who are trained you're going to say, okay, he's asking me how I am. He might be either an S or an I. Um, so I need to go down that path, you know? So like we're you and I as people and you on the, the more knowledgeable side, you know, we're going to do that little dance, but 
you know, when I ask that question to a D personality, you know, they're like, um, like you get a one word answer and then you're like, Thank you. You, get the, you get the, you get the, what do you want? You know, the, either it's an I, you're right. You either get the look or you get the, you know, you know, words just like good. And then you get a look. Um, that could also be a C personality because, you know, C's are like very, yeah. but, um, and then with an I, you're like, how are you? And they're like, oh, I'm great. I went to the store yesterday. Like I didn't ask any other questions, but you know, I went to the store yesterday. I got this ham. It was so good. I mean, it was lean and, you know, you're finding out about what they made the ham into and, you know, and how their dog liked the leftovers. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, they're like, oh, so what's, what's, how are you? And you're like, oh, I'm still alive breathing after that long dissertation. Thank you. Um, you know, so that's how I kind of start. That's why I asked that question. Mm. But uh, I will say, though, that I have adjusted based on people. If I know or if I'm in a different country, I won't ask, how are you? Because sometimes that's, you know, in certain countries there, that's not a thing. Yes, culturally. Okay. Yeah, culturally, it's different. But I don't know, like, what do you do to to break down that initial barrier? And what can so, yeah, what would your advice be? So what what does Dr. Lisa do? But what would our advice be to our listeners to try to understand who they're talking to. And then after that, I want you to really dig into like how somebody can know themselves. So sorry, go ahead. I'll stop. Okay. So thank you. I mean, great insight. It, it feels like you and I prepared this, um, David, you're so knowledgeable in this too. So, and I'm really grateful. So you make it really easy for me and very exciting too. So um, when it comes to that tonality becomes really very, very important. When I teach on service excellence, because right now we are moving away from face to face. So that rapport building to like, you know, body language and so that 55% of the communication now is out the window. So we focus now on tonality. And then, so you did it right. You know, you ask and based on how I answer, you can tell, you know, the kind of personality that I am so you can move forward. But the other thing that, you know, um, I would recommend that we listen to all your guests that are listening that they can take away from is the tone. So when you match and mirror the tone of somebody, right? Again, people like people that are like them, okay? So if you are talking to a D, they go straight to the point and stuff like that, you match and mirror that, you know, that really helps. But the other thing is I always tell people, and this is a big trick and it's very, very successful. Okay. When you are talking over the phone with somebody, get a mirror and keep by your side. What you do is you smile, you know? You smile. Normally, if it's face-to-face, -face, if it's a rapport that you're building face-to-face, -face, I tell them, smile with your eyes. It's pleasant. You are not looking weird. But whenever you smile in a mirror, keep a mirror by you to remind you all the time because you look at your face. When you smile, it changes the way your vocal cavity is and the person on the other side can hear it or feel it that really helps to build rapport it shows that um this person is interested in you okay that is really very huge when it's communicating sometimes um standing up also helps you know you stand up when you're talking but if you're in an office that becomes a little bit different why because the way blood flows and the way it helps air pass through your vocal cavity really enhances everything. And then the other thing is, you know, just pay attention, be focused, because if like now you're talking to me and I'm talking to somebody and doing something else, they can feel it, they can hear it on the other side. So all of that takes 
into account, given that you're only working with your tonality, right? Then the other thing is always talk and call people's names. So, oh, like Dr. Lisa, why? This really helps to build a rapport. Very important. People like to hear their names, okay? And when you call their name, it also means that you care enough to remember their name, okay? That will help with the conversation. And um, so I'll leave it at that for now. Oh, those are excellent points. And uh, you know, I, I don't think I could agree anymore. I mean, that's, th these are great things that I hope people will, when they're listening to this, they can take these away and they can also um, use these. Not only, but I mean, these are so, these skills, these base skills, they're so useful when it comes to um, home life with your spouse, your significant other, your partner, um, your children, if you have any, uh, your parents. And this is, this is something that I'm struggling with as, as my parents age, uh, their personalities, uh, you know, it's very clear to me where I can see that I get my D personality from. And as they age, their tolerance for any sort of uh, migration to another personality type or any sort of conversation has just gone and they're they're very they're very uh they've gotten curt in their old age well at least my dad has my mom as she ages her eye is coming out and that's uh, it's very uh, dr lisa it's so difficult for me to keep up with the a high eye person when and then it's my own mother and i'm just like oh mom i love you but i've heard this story five times now like every time i talk to you we talk about the same things um, uh, it just it, it it's 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 a struggle but these are still useful skills because when you know what's happening you can get a better understanding and if you can understand then that just makes the whole process and the whole um, learning experience much more valuable so I appreciate you sharing those those um, skills one thing I would like to ask you is um, People can take the DISC course. I'm assuming they can even contact you somehow and take the DISC course. Or if somebody's sure. listening, they can, uh, their workplace, if they feel like they need this, they could also contact you. Um, and, and you can tell us about that now or later. But what, I'm, what I really want you to answer, because um, don't, don't think you're getting off of this call without giving out how to contact you and, and all that stuff, because I'm not going to let that <laughs> But what uh, oh, I really, the question that I'm trying to ask is how do people start the process of really knowing themselves? Because I think actually even before that is how do people acknowledge that they don't and that they need to and it's important and then how do they go about learning about themselves? Okay. So it just starts with simple conversation to get people to, first of all, understand. So I realized that when I sit in little gouges and when people start talking and I start um, sharing ideas without necessarily telling them that you are D-I-C, because it is really very offensive to start telling people that you are D-I-C when they don't even know what this is all about. You have just put them in a box. So when I give my trainings, I tell people, 
you know this language. The people you'll be interacting with don't know. So don't go out there and tell your spouse or your friend or your, your boss, oh, that is your deep personality acting, causing you to act this way. It's very insulting. Make sure that they understand what that is. Then you can speak to them in that language, right? Mm-hmm. So for you to do that, you know, you can introduce the ideas. You just talk about how important it is for people to understand themselves in collaboration. So for me, nobody should ever talk about teamwork. Nobody should ever talk about collaboration without going through a process of how people can actually really collaborate. And it all starts with simple techniques using tools like DISC personality assessment. So that's one. Um, Two, the other way to do it is you bring it out as something that is general without saying, listen, I want you to go do a DISC because I feel that it's because of this personality of yours that you are underperforming. Or you as a spouse, you are not acting right because of this. No, it should be something that is exciting and you've heard about it, you want to find out more about it. The other thing is, um, whenever I am called to give a talk on diversity and inclusion, because I'm also a diversity and inclusion professional, I start and I focus on the interpersonal part of diversity and inclusion. See, the D, the I, and the S. It tells us that that is the best practice when it comes to, uh, comes to diversity and inclusion. When people begin to realize how diverse we are from an interpersonal level, then when we move now to the other primary, secondary level, when it comes to the graph of best practice of diversity, then you look at race, culture, gender, everything falls in place. But when we talk about the personality differences, kind of like a unifying standpoint, you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So whenever I'm giving that talk, I bring this in, and after that, I have given talks in so many places. I don't care. African-American, Caucasians, they've walked to me and said, you changed my life because I used to be in this box thinking that I'm being treated like this because of this. But today you have told me that even if I go somewhere and I'm treated in a certain way, understand that even our brains process things differently. You know, I always tell people that there's something in our brain called the limbic system where emotions are being processed. And based on how we are brought up, based on culture, based on your religion, based on your education, we process things differently. So nobody is right. So we, 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 we process things not based on reality, but based on our perception. And so you can never say you are wrong, you are right. Dig deeper and ask people why they think the way they think. And that is why we collaborative relational intelligence. One of the other branches Metaposition listening, which is the highest form of listening. So it takes, it is above even empathetic listening, where you become fly on the wall. You sit back and say, well, I'm not part of this. How can I objectively understand where this person is coming from? You see, collaborative relational intelligence that takes beyond disk for you to be very, very um, um, successful in applying it. You get it? I, so, um, so that's about yes. it. Uh, thank you. I, I am as ecstatic as a deep personality can be, and thank you for tying that into what we're, what I'm trying to accomplish with, with the podcast is perceptions reality. I really do want people to understand that there, that no two people seeing the same event, uh, positive, negative, neutral, whatever. The two people could be observing a duck on, uh, on swimming on the water. They're going to see it differently because of how they perceive the duck, how they perceive the water, how they perceive the reflection of the duck because of the way the sun is shining on the water. I mean, everything is different. Where no two people are going to come away with the same experience. 
And it's understanding that that's really, really important to me is to help people understand that because I don't feel that we as a human race are going to evolve and progress if we can't start to understand that basic principle that we're all different and that's okay. It's the differences that make us awesome. Um, but we all still need to work together and we can come together and there's much, much, much good that happens when we collaborate and for the greater good of all of us, you know, we can cure diseases, we can clean pollution, we can stop wars, we can have, we can achieve intergalactic travel someday if we could just work together. Very true. I had another point in there, but I forgot it. I was so happy you brought up the whole perceptionist reality theme that I just lost lost it. <laughs> Touchdown, yeah, Dr. Lisa. <laughs> Thank you. No, can I even add one more thing that with the perception thing, when this information goes through our brain, there are four things that happen there. We either generalize the information that we get, we exaggerate, we distort, or we delete. And all of this is based on our past experiences. So you can see why some people will say, listen, I am a Democrat because of this. I'm a Republican because of this. So when I talk, I tell people we waste too much energy staying in the negative about things that people are doing it based on things that are happening in their brain. They are not trying to hurt you. They're just wired to think a certain way, maybe based on their past experiences. So let's just realize that we are different you know, and understand where everybody's from. And you see life becomes so sweet for everybody, you know? Conflicts become less, you know? Collaboration becomes top notch, you know? Can you, because you said that very fast, can you say those four things again, please? Yes, okay, so, and this is all in NLP, um, NLP Neuro Linguistic Programming, something I'm trained in. It tells us that, you know, when we get information, if I'm having a conversation with somebody, there are four things that are happening in the brain. I either take that information and I generalize. I can say, everybody from South Africa, everybody from Cameroon thinks this way, you know, mm -hmm. or I take that information and I exaggerate or distort it or delete part of it. So that is what is going through my mind when I'm having conversation with somebody. So everything is not processed exactly. And that is why, you know, our perception is not reality. So what comes out of our mouth or what we reason is just our perception. It does not mean that that is the right thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So oh, uh, what yes. is right here might be wrong here. And what is wrong there might be right there. So we have to realize that we are also unique and different. We are. And see, I really. <clears throat> I really enjoy the differences and the uniqueness that people, uh, the global population has to offer. Um, and I am fascinated, like, and I always feel my perception of myself when I have these conversations and I've not asked you yet because I, I am very fascinated about where you're from, how you grew up. Like I love to learn about different cultures. Um, but I don't ask those questions because I don't want to um, 
appear in any negative light. I don't have an example of how somebody might perceive me, but my perception is if I start asking those questions because I'm curious because it's, it's different and I want to learn and I love to learn about those things. That's one of the reasons why I like to travel. Um, hmm. and, and I don't like to travel and do touristy things. I like to travel and learn about how people live, where they are, you know, what kind of foods they eat, what kind of customs they observe, just like, and just learn about it. Um, I had a question. So, oh, so how do you think that if I did, if my, if I let my curiosity go with people, would that be a negative thing? Would that be a positive thing? If you let your, ask that again. Let me make so sure I, I understand. So for, for example, if I started asking you about, okay, Dr. Lisa, you're here in, in the United States now. You talked about um, growing up where you grew up in, in Africa, um, that the, the expired medication here, uh, just the expired medication that we all take for granted in the United States because we are the land of gluttony, would be still beneficial to somebody in Africa. Um, so like questions that I have is like, well, where is that? Where did you grow up? Like, what was it like growing up there? How'd you end up here? Like I have so many questions just about you as a person, but I didn't ask any of those because I wanted to talk about our topic. But also I feel like that's, my perception would be that would be kind of in, too intrusive. But maybe that's because well, I'm an ID. I don't know. Well, you know what? From a D perspective, a standpoint, yes, that is how a D would think. But for me, um, being a DI or ID, and in this conversation, I'm an ID, I want you to dig deeper and ask me so I can share my experiences, how I got to where I am. Maybe somebody out there too will be motivated. So for me, I honestly don't mind. Well, personally, some people would find that intrusive. Which is why I typically shy away from asking a lot of those questions. Um, like I, I have, for example, I have a new coworker. Um, she's from Ghana. I love to talk about Ghana with her. Um, I just love Ghana soccer. Um, I've met a bunch of people from Ghana over the years at various trade shows. Um, I love the colors that they wear and just their happy personalities. I just, uh, I don't know. I, I don't mean to generalize the whole population, but I mean, my perception of everybody that I've met from Ghana is they're very happy, awesome people. Um, and that's not to say that other countries aren't. I'm just saying, like, I have friends from Nigeria. I, I have listeners in South Africa that I enjoy interacting with. I'm hoping to get one on the show. Um, you know, I myself have family from Tunisia and Ethiopia. Um, so... Where, where, where did you start out? Where, how did little, how, how t tell us the tale of a young Dr. Lisa before she became Dr. Lisa and she was just Lisa, the little girl growing up and how this passion started. Okay. So this passion started um, because I was raised by a phenomenal man, my, my dad. He was a politician in Cameroon, but there was just something about him. He was a DI but he was somebody that when he speaks, everybody listens. He believed in excellence. So when he put in words for somebody, you want to listen because he doesn't mean words. But for some reason, he always spoke things about me that I didn't even understand. See, one day my daughter is going to be a doctor. One day she is like this. My daughter will be this and be that. But I really didn't understand. So when I was growing up, I went to secondary school, boarding school. It's really common in Cameroon. It's a privilege and a blessing to be in boarding school. While in boarding school, 
if you are top in your class, you can apply to become prefect, like a, a head of, you know, you have like health prefect, like senior, you know, like class like council. In Harry, like in Harry that. Potter? No. Hmm. Like, because in Harry Potter, she had prefects that were in charge of the younger students. Correct. Correct. So my department was health. So I worked with a school nurse you know, to dispense medications in the evening for people with headache and stuff like that. So I developed passion for medicine. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a pharmacist. My dad did always, always said she would be a doctor. But in me, I knew I really could not be a medical doctor working on people. So when I came here immediately, I pursued a doctorate in pharmacy. But while there, you could see how just growing up with my mom, and my parents, my dad was, I can say, probably well to do, kind of, because he would fly to London. He was director of Evans in London, Evans Books. So um, he was diabetic, but he could afford his medicine. But I saw how others struggled. And becoming a pharmacist here, I realized that when medications are expired here, it means it's maybe 80%. It's still potent. 20% is not potent or 10%, which means you can still take it, but it is not allowed here based on the laws and rules in America. But that medicine in an area in Cameroon where they don't even have medicine at all, it becomes something that is like a gold mine for their health, for them to get better. So, you know, I, you know, graduated, came here, pursued um, pharmacy degree. And um, when I got into pharmacy, I did everything a pharmacist could do, you know, did the patient care, worked in the hospital, and I wanted to really have the one-on-one -on -one with patients. So I opened my own pharmacy, provided brown bag consultation where I would sit with patients, go through their medication, and it was really successful. But also I was always an ardent reader, really reading to dig deep to find out more about life and knowledge. And, I, you know, I told myself I had to go back and do an MBA. Then my husband, he's a physician, he told me, listen, you are a PhD chick. Those were his words to me. So I decided now to pursue a PhD. And when I was looking for an area to focus on, I had worked in the hospital, worked in the pharmacy world enough to understand what was there. First of all, I was never really given a leadership training at all, you know, in pharmacy school as a practitioner. So learning about it and understanding how to work with other practitioners became really a big deal to me. And so while I was in that process, I got a position as a director of pharmacy and I started applying some of those techniques. I will tell you something, David, my hospital started making a lot of money because of the pharmacy department. The feedback my CEO started getting from doctors. One day she put me in her office and said, let me tell you 10 reasons how you have changed this hospital. You know, started doing little things like acknowledgement and um, just little things that were just missing that just changed the whole atmosphere, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm where I am today and I can go further and dig deeper. It's such an exciting journey. And because of that, my husband and I too, we decided to go back when I sold the pharmacy, I said, I have to give something back. You always have to remember where you're from. You know, you don't come to a country like this. You forget and you just spend the life. There's a reason, personally, I believe that God puts you in a certain place. We decided to go back to the village where we came from to give back. Because every time we'll go for vacation, you see people running after us here. My husband is a physician. I'm busy asking for medicine. We went back and built a health clinic there. When we came back, we heard that people were giving birth in that clinic. Now it became a maternity. Nine villages were being serviced. So we made it a point to go every year or twice a year 
take a team here, get people from Africa, ship medication, and just go give it and supply and just provide free health care for people that have never been to the hospital. Some all I cannot even tell you. See, but those to me, that is what life is all about. And so um, part of it too was because of the passion my dad instilled in me as a philanthropist, because of the blessings he put in my life. He spoke all these positive words into my life that I have grown up and it just so happened that everything he said about me has really come to pass. So, um, well, my dad and me is another story. I can get really passionate on the importance of a male figure in your life and what difference that can make in the child's life. Um, but that's why I'm who I am today. I became the doctor, not just a doctor. I became a doctor, doctor. I don't know how many people have that kind of title as a woman from Africa. I'm not saying that it's such a big deal, but I think it's an achievement that, you know, it's worth celebrating, but it came with a lot of hard work and passion. And I'm here today with two patterns and leadership. And I'm here talking to you, David, on your wonderful show on collaborative relational intelligence. It's a blessing. It is a blessing, and it's an amazing story. And I, I will say this. <clears throat> Hearing you talk about your father makes me want to meet this man, like in a good way. Like he <laughs> just like an incredibly important person. There's, there's not too many people in this world that have what I call presence. When they walk in a room and they don't even have to say anything, or they can say a few words and it means more, like they might say a few words, but it's paragraphs in meaning. And that's, there's few people and it sounds like your father is one of those, those great people. Very true. And he was well known for that. He just exuded this wow factor, this, you know, executive presence wherever he went to that um, he was taller than his height. He was big and great. I mean, do you know, I actually thought at one point that my dad would never die. Like, I thought he was beyond death. Can you believe that? He was younger. I, yeah. I can. I can so, believe. I, I can. I, I totally, I, I completely understand that. I, he, yeah. Just from your description, it sounds like that. Um, sounds like yeah. a person. So I'm glad that you had that influence in your life. And... Uh, I definitely agree that it is important to have that uh, a male role model in your life. Uh, whether you're a young boy or a young girl, it still matters. Um, just as much as it matters to have uh, you know female presence in your life uh, as well um, on either side. And that's something yeah. that, uh, you know, that's something maybe if somebody wants to come on the show uh, and talk about the family dynamic and where, where we've come from and where we are today, uh, Contact me. I'd love to talk about it. Um, so, Dr. Dr. Lisa, <laughs> if I could, can you tell everybody where they can get a hold of you, if they want to talk to you, if they want to reach out to you, if their company wants to hire you, if they just want to, um, maybe you can do a webinar. Maybe, you know, why don't, can you talk about that for a few moments? Yes. Um, yeah, really very exciting. I would... Um, I love to do, you know, podcasts like this, but, you know, I mean, um, doing a workshop, just being in the presence of others and talking is like my tough. If you, if I find myself in that kind of environment, um, you get double of me. Let me put it that way. So um, you can contact me. Just go to my website, www.drlisaecoli.com. So it's www.dru.com. Uh, 
L I Z A E K O L E dot com. My email address too is www. No. <laughs> My email address is drlisaicole at gmail.com. I have a longer one, drlisa at collaborativerelationalintelligence.com. So um, basically that's what it is. My phone number and the rest um, will be listed there. But go to my website. You'll get more information. I do these presentations. I go to, you know, big mm -hmm. financial institutions, um, Ohio Northern University that is near and dear to my heart because that is the school that really motivated me and molded me to become the great pharmacist that I am because, you know, and um, they've really found value in the things I do. They just give me an award as an alumina that is just bringing change to the, to the profession of pharmacy. And I'll be featuring in one of the uh, magazines coming up as a change agent, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so um, I just wanted to, to, to just... <laughs> Put that out there but I go there every year so I'll be going there for the third time this year to talk about leadership in their pharmacy class so they've made this leadership thing become really important in pharmacy school when I was there it wasn't there so it's just a beautiful opportunity for me to give back to an institution that more than me but more importantly to be able to mold other healthcare professionals so I work with physicians I work with executives I work with you know I've spoken at churches it's so funny you know to use collaborative relational intelligence as a framework for discipleship. How do you go out there discipling people when you don't understand yourself? You don't even know them. You don't even know how to interact with them. And I found out that people were crying in church. They said, listen, we have actually kicked out a lot of people from church, especially the deep personality, because we thought they were sent by the devil. We didn't realize that they were just wired this way. Some thought that they were somewhere bullies and stuff like that. So collaborative relational intelligence works in every dynamic family dynamics, you know, um, church dynamics, institutions, organizations, just reach out to me. What I also do is I do like a one hour pro bono presentation. So if you still really don't understand what I'm talking about and you don't know what I'll be a good fit for your organization, because you can tell all this to any organization. I can be able to come there, do that free one hour, but you know, we have to take into consideration certain logistics for that to happen. I have a promotion now in Ohio on this specifically, but for your guests and people on your show, if they contact them, if they contact me, I can make a special promotion too for them. If they said, listen, we heard you on this show, I'll be able to make a special provision for them. I am excited. I'm excited not just because it's something that I believe in, it's something that works. My life is better today because of what I know now, you know, and um, doing great things at my job site, making huge difference. Like in a couple of weeks, I'll be flying two senior clinical consultants to come spend a week in Michigan with me for me to train them on this. It is, this is how powerful and important this is. This is the new competitive edge, um, new competitive edge in this age in every organization. Oh, it absolutely is. It, I mean, it, it really, it is. And there's no getting around that. And people have probably read the, uh, the articles on emotional, the emotional quotient, the EQ and the IQ and, 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 and all that. Um, but it really, it, it is exactly what Dr. Lees is talking about. And there's a lot that, I mean, I'm sure the two of us could talk about the emotional quotient, but yes. it's, it's, um, but I, I don't know that I can say this, um, more emphatically. It's just that what Dr. Lisa just mentioned is crucial to success. And 
one thing that I would like all of my listeners to know is that the personality of the leader will always affect the team. The team will take on the, the leadership's personality. That it just, it's, it's what happens. So if you can contact Dr. Lisa, learn about how your personality is. So how you're impacting your team, you're impacting your team in ways you don't even understand. Not you, Dr. Lisa, I'm talking to the plural you, the bigger you, but yeah. <laughs> I know you, I know you understand, but uh, definitely people impact their team and it doesn't necessarily have to be your direct reports. I mean, it could be your home life team, could be just your, your coworkers, could be if you're on a cross-functional team working on a project, it matters. Uh, it absolutely matters. And it, it, the success of the project, you still may have, here's something to think about. People, when you're working together, you might have a successful project because you accomplished what your original goal was. But if think about what else you could accomplish and how much further you can go if you stop and think about how you act, what your personality is like, how that impacts the team, how everybody's dynamic works together. Put that in synchronous harmony, and then I, I, I don't even want to shudder to guess what could be possible. Wow. Can I say something, Debbie? You just touched on something so important that you can stop and think. You know, one aspect of collaborative relational intelligence is self-introspection. That at the end of the day, you retire when you lay down. You just kind of like have a rundown of the activities of the day. Where did you talk too much when you were supposed to listen more? Where were you short when you were supposed to be, you know, maybe more patient with somebody? You know, I always tell people that the worst thing you can ever do to yourself is to lie to yourself. That is self-indictment. It is one thing if somebody lies to you, but when you start lying to yourself, it's called self-indictment, and that is really bad. So when you do the self-introspection, you ask yourself honestly, you know, if somebody did this to me, how would I feel? How did this conversation go? And you talk to yourself. You have that self-talk with yourself honestly and sincerely. You know, for me, what I personally do is, you know, there are different ways that people choose to, you know, finish their day or maybe they'll meditate or I personally for me. And it doesn't matter how you do it. For me to have closure and to get a new start, I pray. And I say, well, this day went this way. These are some things I will fix tomorrow. But I cannot carry the baggage into the next day. And then the next day now, I try to avoid the things I did yesterday. But I don't use it as something that will crucify me or like a, like a, like a punishment or something that will be a baggage that will remind me that, oh, you didn't do this yesterday and this will cut. No. I take it as say, well, this chapter is gone. But I thought about it. And I thought about ways I will act differently. So, and that helps me to be more intentional, more intentional. And all of a sudden you realize that your life is just really beautiful and you're passing that on to others, you know? Yes. Yeah. And, and it's a shame you're not passionate about any of this at all. I tease. <laughs> I kid. Uh, uh, one, one thing that I do, Dr. Lisa, is that uh, before bed, I like to go over, I don't do quite as much as you do, but I do this one thing every night without fail. And it's, I like to recount what I'm grateful for that happened during the day. Even on the most difficult days, I still like to recount what I'm grateful for that happened during that day. Yes, very good. 
So thank you. Um, I really thank you for being on the show. I'm glad you contacted me. This is something that uh, like I, I thought I was passionate. You are definitely much more and much more knowledgeable. Um, you're like hashtag life goal for David to, to attain what you've attained. Um, wow. So thank you very much for being on the show. And I'm hoping that there's some future Dr. Lisa's out there that will hear this and know that what's possible is possible. But I do think that one thing that I want everybody to know is Dr. Lisa makes it sound easy because she has a great personality that you're all hearing and she's passionate and you can hear the smile in her tone of voice. But please don't think for a minute that it wasn't a lot of hard work. Now, I know, Dr. Lisa, you said it was a lot of hard work. But I I'm, I'm not saying I understand fully, but I am saying that it was a lot of hard work. And I want people to know that don't let hard work discourage you. If something is worth doing, it's going to take work. Um, I forget the musician who said this, but it was a famous, famous musician. I'll have to look up the quote. But this, uh, he was the lead singer for a band and he was like, yeah, we were, you know, he was responding to a question about being an overnight success. Uh, because they had a hit and it was the perception of the world that like this hit was, you know, their, like they were an overnight success. And he was like, yeah, we're a 10 year overnight success. And his point was that it's, I mean, it took them 10 years to get this one hit that took off their career. Hard work is important. It matters. Um, and don't be afraid to, to do it. Um, and then you too can be as awesome as Dr. Lisa. Yeah. And the good thing about it is that, you know, because I have done most of the hard work, when I pass on this information to them, it will not be as hard as when I did it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, after one hour of sitting in my presentation, people are ready to have a change. They have an epiphany. It's like a guarantee and it happens every single time because it's simple, it is practical, and it's inspiring. You know, and again, to your, your guests in South Africa and stuff, I'm looking forward to traveling the world with this. And I mean, a country like South Africa is one that has always been on my list. I, I think that message like this is something that is really very important, especially for African organizations and the governmental level. And it's just something that I know we need because we are very transactional in the way we do things. And I agree. And I have been trying to there's there's a director of a woman's shelter in south africa uh that i'm really trying to get onto the show but i she's incredibly busy um very awesome woman who does a, a great service to the world um through her work in south africa so i'm hoping she'll be on but friends in south africa uh dr lisa's ready to help you contact her yeah she is <laughs> And that's not to say by, by calling out my listeners in South Africa, I'm not trying to um, diminish any other listeners that I might have in Africa. Uh, it just isn't showing up in my dashboard. But I do know that I have uh, listeners in South Africa, probably because it's a mostly English speaking country. Maybe, I don't know. I'm just throwing darts at a wall there. But uh, um I would definitely welcome more South Africa, more African listeners and talking to anybody in Africa, whatever they want to talk about. Um, uh, 
would be awesome just to learn the different perspectives. Uh, Africa is, so Dr. Lisa, Africa is someplace that I would like to go, but, and here, here's, here's the, it's a, it's a big but. Um, I have a lot of medical problems myself and some of the shots that I would need to get, and I'm not sure, I haven't really looked into it. Like, do I need shots for every country? I don't know, but um, mm -hmm. some of the shots that I might need, like one for yellow fever and stuff like that, I might not physically be able to survive the side effects. So that's been preventing hmm. me from, from going to Africa. Is that something, now I'm not asking for medical advice because that's just my perception that I've built up over the years um, because I looked into it once many, many years ago and I think what I did was I distorted it. Either I'm exaggerating or I'm distorting the information that I got. Is it quite that's as- Correct. <laughs> and so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, is it, is getting the shots really as dangerous as, you know, younger David from his early, late 20s, early 30s perceives it to be? No, definitely no, 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 not at all. Not, not unless you have specific conditions that, you know, maybe a specific shot will, you know, cause it to be worse. But I'm telling you, it's not as bad. You know, um, our kids are all born here. So we started making, doing mission trips to them and getting them involved in philanthropic activities. I mean, after the first major shot that they took, for example, like malaria, now we got to the point where they don't even have to study here. We just go to Cameroon, go to the pharmacy, get like a ma malaria treatment right there. And we have it on hand and we take it because now our body kind of like got used to it and things were different. But let me tell you, Absolutely not. It's not as bad. The first time you might feel like, oh, but nothing. Not unless it's something that the doctor says this will have a direct effect with what you, what is going on with you right now. Otherwise, I would encourage you. Africa is one place that I think everybody that loves traveling and wants to should go. You know, it really, really opens your eyes to a different um, side of the world, and it's really very beautiful too with the way they do things and stuff like that. So. Definitely look into it and try. It's not bad at all. I agree. I will look into it. I'll make you a promise that I will look into it. All of my issues are cardiac related. Um, so I'm no. quite, yeah. It, but don't feel sorry for me. I live a good life. Um, no, I, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not so, giving me the permit. Not that I don't yeah. feel. I can't, you know, no. It's, it's, I'm uh, just encouraging you to go. I want to look up this quote that I did the other day. Um, so I, I like to study Stoicism, and one of the quotes mm -hmm. from Stoics always say is "Memento mori." Um, you know, rem you remember you will die. Um, but I like to append that, and I say "Memento mori, memento vivere," um, which is "Remember you will die, uh, but remember to live." Cool. So beautiful. Uh, That's beautiful. With all of any issues that I have, believe me, I, I live. Um, you live. And that's it. The other thing I said, no, I wasn't sorry, not in a mean way, but because kind of like you, I, I don't believe that life, you know, is just living this life. Because a wise man once said, the greatest tragedy in life is not death, it's that life without a purpose. So if you found your purpose and you live, you know, <laughs> in your purpose, then death should not be anything you know, as bad as we try to perceive it. And when I talk to you, it's as if you are a purpose-driven man and you've done a lot in that life, you know? So the greatest tragedy in life is not death. It's life without a purpose. Oh, I agree with that. Um, and if, and, and I could go on, and I'm struggling with words because I don't want to 
I don't want to keep you for, for much longer, <laughs> but I could. <laughs> this is what happens with every podcast episode. I get to know my guests by the end of the hour and we just keep going. Um, so I'll offer to you what I offer to everybody else is Dr. Lisa, if you ever want to come back on and talk about anything, I'm at your disposal. You just send me an email and we will schedule it. Um, but I will say that there's a lot that goes inside with living and purpose. Uh, those two are overlapping. Um, and there's a whole bunch of books on a purposeful life and, and, and things like that. I won't say that I feel, my perception is that I don't feel that I'm in tune with my purpose as much as you are. And which is why I said, hashtag life goals. Dr. Lisa, you are definitely uh, hashtag <laughs> life goals. And I mean that sincerely. That's, I, I, I do. Like, Thank you. Thank you, David. And I know not for just for me, I'm sure after people listen to this, it's, uh, you know, we'll start a new hashtag, hashtag life goals, Dr. Lisa, all one, all together. <laughs> hashtag Dr. Lisa life goals. That's it. Dr. Lisa life goals. Wow. That's good. That sounds good. <laughs> I think Thank I'm going to write that one down so I don't forget it. So when I post on Instagram and social media, I can actually create that. Wow. There we go. Look, see, now it's official because I wrote it down on a piece of paper. Um, <laughs> so, Dr. Lisa, before we part ways, and, and, and uh, thank you again for being on, is there anything that we didn't cover today that you were hoping that we would cover? Um, so, I think we covered a lot. The, but the last thing I just want to end up with is that, you know, collaborative relational intelligence has 10 branches. And there is also, when it comes to acknowledgement, there's a way that you acknowledge people because some of us just get carried away by, I said thank you to them or I give them a gift. But there's a right and a wrong way to give gifts. And it starts from, a, from an interpersonal perspective. So there's a way to say thank you to somebody that is one a personality and to somebody that is b personality and c personality a lot of those things cause strife and conflict we think we're doing the right thing we think we are collaborating and appreciating the right way but we're instead turning people off and breaking rapport so um it's something that you know i just wanted to throw out there because just because it's acknowledgement and it's good you know we have to do it the right way you know and um for your guests to just remember that acknowledgement is one of the greatest things you can give to your to your spouse to your employees to your to your whoever because what it does in the brain is you can see people that acknowledge and acknowledgement has to be specific it has to be true um it generates the desire for people to want to do more um they are happier you create an environment that is more peaceful and less stressed that you have to do it right. There are some people that would like to be acknowledged in public and say, hey, you know, like my daughter, when she was five-star general, they called her Abigail. She walked out very proudly. But I have another daughter that is a different personality. Her birthday, when she walked down the stairs and they said, surprise, she started crying. Mm -hmm. So we have to really take time to understand others and be intentional in all that we do. So I will wrap up with a quote from, by Samuel Smile. Um, he, 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 he noted, when you sow a thought, you reap an act. When you sow an act, you reap a habit. When you sow a habit, you reap a character. When you sow a character, you reap a destiny. So to your guest and to me, because the reminder, what thought are we willing to sow that we change the destiny of others tomorrow? It's something to think about. I said, thank you so much. It's been such a great pleasure being on your show, David. 
Uh, I, I had something else I was going to say, but I don't want to take away from that moment. That was so awesome. Um, that's a great quote. Um, Thank you. That's very powerful. So I will leave my thoughts unspoken for the next time we, we uh, talk, I think. Um, I, yeah, I think I will. That way I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger. So you always wonder, what is he talking about? Now I have to come back on the show. I know, right? Because I want to come back like next week. <laughs> hey, that, that's fine. It's a, it's a new season. Um, mm -hmm. It's a new season of the podcast. I took three weeks off. So you are more than welcome to come back as often or as much as you want. Um, open invitation. You just email me your right. times like you did before and I'm, I will make it happen. But thank you so, so much for uh, being on the show today and sharing your wisdom and your insights and. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Lisa. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to leave feedback on the podcast, comments on this episode or previous episode, or to be a guest on the show, leave me a message by calling 1-585-210-0247. Any feedback or episode comments could end up being aired in the future. I look forward to hearing from you.